Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bharat Vartha Weekly. Thank you for choosing to skip the news and watch the weekly instead. Bright sunny morning in Bangalore and uh, unfortunately or fortunately we don't have test cricket today as was uh, earlier planned, right? Hi Ashish, hi Vatsa, how are you guys doing? Hi Gary, good Gary. So plenty of news uh, and events to cover, uh, a lot of positive stuff uh, as well. Uh, let's get started with the uh, uh, an update that we put out last week on us completing a year of Bharat Varta. Uh, so this was a this was a really nice conversation, and for a change, I mean, I was at the other end, and I can tell you, I mean, it's it's way harder answering questions than asking them. So props to Ashish, Vatsa, and all of the others who do this uh, day in, I mean, on a weekly basis. Right, I don't know how you guys can do it. I think I'm better off asking questions. Uh, Ashish, what's up? Uh, how was this uh, one-year recap of uh, Bharat Vartha for you? Very good, Kari. I think it was uh, some good questions also which came in from uh, from Ravi. I think uh, you handled them well. Uh, nothing, nothing to complain <laughs> about really. <laughs> Thanks, Ashish. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, the ease of living and municipal uh, performance uh, indices for 2020 was released. Shri Hardeep Singh Puri, Ministry, Minister of State for Housing and Urban Affairs, announced the rankings for cities with populations of more than a million and less than a million. In the million-plus category, drumroll, Bangalore was the top performer, followed by Pune. That's okay. I mean, Pune is second anyway, right? And then uh, followed by Pune, Ahmedabad, Chennai, Surat, Navi Mumbai and others. In the less than a million uh, category, Shimla was first followed by Bhuvneshwar, Silvasa, Kakinada, Salem and others. In the million plus category for municipalities, we should probably skip this, right? So, uh, in the million plus category for municipalities, Indore emerged as the highest ranked, followed by Surat and Bhopal. New Delhi Municipal Corporation, uh, Council took the crown for less than a million category, followed by Tirupati and Gandhinagar. Ashish, we have finally been proven right about Bangalore. Now you can truly express uh, everything that you have in your mind. So I tweeted this, uh, Carrie and uh, Adam Townsend, who's like an Indophile in US, had RT'd my tweet. And I got tweets from angry Americans saying that we have lived in Bangalore and this cannot be true. Like there, there's so much more to India than just getting stuck in Bangalore traffic. So, I mean, I, I took a beating for, for, for Bangalore <laughs> for, for putting the story out. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, I think uh, interesting uh, process. So what the, what the government has been doing is that uh, there's this concept of competitive federalism, right? As the, as the government is calling it. So there are several areas in which Niti Aayog or ministries have been doing various types of rankings to encourage states and cities to look at what is happening elsewhere and then adopt them in their uh, their administration or or their ways of working. And uh, this is uh, yet another uh, initiative in the same direction uh, by the uh, Urban Affairs Ministry. So there were two, two surveys, uh, actually. So there was one on the uh, ease of living. So ease of living was defined by cities uh, being sustainable, being able to provide services to the citizens, uh, having economic growth, and so on. Uh, Bangalore topped with the view that the economic par parameters were ranked very high for Bangalore for compared to, I mean, uh, relative to the rest of the cities. And uh, the, uh, I mean, as you mentioned in the list, so Pune was second. Uh, Indore featured in this list also. So that's like two for Indore. This was ninth, uh, ranked nine for Indore in, in this list. And uh, the, um, 
I think the, the ministry will encourage or has been encouraging these cities to uh, learn from each other. Does there have been recommendations like this? These parameters can improve if the mayor term has become five is, is extended to five years. In, in many cities, the mayor term is not five years, right? Like uh, for, in, in many cases, mayors are not even elected directly. Then if they are elected, then they may not have any executive power per se. And then to to make it worse. Sometimes the term tends to be two years or one year, depending on different uh, uh, local body legislations in, in different states. So one of the recommendations which has come in is to have uh, empowered mayors who have a full five-year term. So they run like like it happens in the U.S. where you have a elected representative who's running the city the way someone would run a state or someone would run a country. So that is one part. The second part was the municipal index, which involved uh, basically the, the the municipal delivery of services. And then, then uh, participation in other things like cleanliness and so on. So, there, of course, no surprise that the Indore and the, uh, I mean, the MP and the Gujarat cities did very well because even in the other surveys, uh, those cities have, have ranked pretty high in, in the past. So, Indore, Surat, Badodra, Ahmedabad, Bhopal, I think they all did very well. Navi Mumbai uh, was in top five as well. So, uh, good, uh, I think, uh, good, good exercise in that sense, uh, bar barring the fact that uh, people complained about the route traffic. I mean, there wasn't much of a, uh, you know, UN cry about the rankings on either, in either list, which is, which is good. That I think people do appreciate that some cities are doing good work and that's kind of being recognized and people agree with that. Uh, one one uh, interesting point is that no city from North India made it to the top 10 municipal corporations. So that's something to mull over for, for, for local administration. I think what has happened is that in the West and in the South and in the Central part, I mean, in MP, a uh, lot of the cities uh, have suddenly transformed. If you see the last 20 years, the municipal corporations have become much more responsible. I mean, if you look at, say, Mangalore or Mesuru or, you know, a lot of, lot of these cities have suddenly uh, sprung up, right? And um, uh, in terms of the local governance being very strong. That hasn't changed in North India. And I think that's something to worry about. Similarly, in the list of ease of living, the there were a lot of cities in the eastern part, uh, the, the northeastern part. So I think that's northeastern region has been a focus of transformation for the government lately in the last five, six years. Um, maybe perhaps there is a case now to invest, go, go deeper and invest at a much more local level uh, in empowering and uh, improving the municipal corporations of the capitals there. All right. Uh, moving on in more positive news. Uh... The Indian economy saw record FDI inflows uh, for the April to December quarters uh, 2020. Uh, FDI and equities surged 40% in the first three quarters of this fiscal, reaching a record $51.5 billion. Total inflows in December alone jumped 24% from a year earlier to $9.2 billion. With businesses going through a reset phase after the substantial lifting of the lockdown curbs, the government hopes to make a sustained push now to draw investors to India as an alternative uh, manufacturing location. Oops. Yeah. So, Ashish, we've spoken about an economic revival earlier. Uh, yet another indication of that? Yes. Uh, to some extent, I wouldn't link FDI to economic revival directly in the sense that FDI decisions are not just fluid decisions, but that's also a business decision, right? Like, someone, why would someone invest in India? So, it's not because of a short-term revival, but there's a long-term business potential, right? So that, that's why someone is putting in billions of dollars in India. Uh, also, the 2020 figures were driven heavily by the geo, uh, you know, stake sales due to multiple companies. I mean, Facebook being the largest of them with 10 billion coming in. 
uh, the valuation was about 65 billion for geo so i think that itself kind of drew a lot of uh, uh, investment the nine month figure that we have had uh, uh, in in the in april december uh, period which is 67.5 billion that's the highest ever for the nine months uh, for for india in fact november we had, we got 10 billion of fdi just that one month had 10 billion fdi this is a little bit similar to the tourism, uh, the tourist arrivals in India. Like there was a couple of years ago, we used to track that can India hit a million tourist a month mark, right? So uh, that that uh, had only happened in 2017 December or 18 December, I think. And I think the same thing with FDI. Like uh, we haven't had too many months with a with a with a uh, with, with 10 billion dollars coming in. So I think that's that that ceiling has been broken now. Hopefully, it will continue in further in, in future also. And uh, uh, also, another thing to note is that in 2020 calendar year, India and China were the only two countries which had uh, positive FDI. So China, of course, bounced back after the, uh, you know, after the pandemic peaked there in Q2 of last year, uh, and then things kind of became stable. So they've been attracting investments, but I think India was the only other country uh, thanks largely to the geo uh, stake sale. But uh, nonetheless, uh, what all, what what matters is that as a business destination. Uh, uh, things think i mean india seems to be uh, now picking up or getting front and center at the, in the in the plans for different companies and uh, we have spoken about uh, manufacturing revival multiple times on different episodes we actually had a, uh, you know we talked about it in different conversations on economy and also on our weeklies uh, what will happen is that because the the production linked incentives will kick in this year for multiple uh, industries the capex will, will have to be made starting april so you will also see good numbers coming in uh, both for investment and for private investment capex uh, starting april for at least a year because the benefits of pli will accrue immediately uh, so to, to 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 basically use those benefits the companies have to start producing in india asap so typically it would take for a, for a general i mean leave aside very complex industries but bulk of the industries which are covered in PLIs, you need a three to six month window to start production. Then you can keep optimizing your factories and automating them further and so on. But three to six months minimum setup time is needed. So that way I see much more, I mean, this data to actually improve uh, uh, in, in parts, uh, in, in several industries, uh, in, in Q, starting Q2 of next financial year and going up to end of the next year. So yeah, good signs overall. And uh, I mean, hopefully uh, India makes the most of it and uh, proves some of our old episodes, right, in terms of how the growth evolves in this decade. Absolutely. Well, okay, uh, the government is now rolling out Aadhaar-based license services online. The Union Ministry for Road Transport and Highways released a notification stating that contactless services had been launched for various license-related services. So citizens no longer have to visit RTOs for renewal of driver's license, vehicle registration, and more. Wow, that's a relief. A total of 18 services will be covered under the contactless system. This comes after a three-week-old draft to let citizens link their driver's license and vehicle registration certificate, certificate with Aadhaar. So, what's up? Are you going to miss uh, visiting the RTO office? Hell no. I think it's come a bit late. <laughs> I, I ended up get, having to get a duplicate driver's license this year. And it was an absolute pain because I also had to change my address with it. Uh, so what happened here was uh, sometime last year, the government issued a, a new set of rules, you know, which allowed uh, other government entities to use uh, Aadhaar for authentication, 
right? Uh, so this happened sometime in August uh, last year. And uh, I think the uh, Ministry of Road Transport has been one of the first to jump onto the bandwagon uh, to sort of come in and make things easier for uh, for customers and also the RTO offices. I mean, it's it must not really be nice working in an RTO office when you have to deal with literally hundreds and hundreds of people every day for, you know, just because someone wants to change an address on their uh, driving license or they need an NOC and so on, right? I mean, uh, they, they can use their time more productively. Uh, so as you mentioned, there are a list of uh, 18 services that, uh, that, uh, that have been notified, which can be done online. And I think uh, with these new rules, it's just the start. So we are seeing uh, on the KYC side, Aadhaar being used extensively. So uh, KYC, which usually meant going somewhere physically, uh, getting you know the KYC done, all of that has changed. And you know, with the pandemic and the situation that that we are in, uh, we're looking at a second wave. It is. It's actually better that you know people don't have to step out and go to government offices and you know be at be at a risk of infection at least till the vaccine comes along. Uh, so overall, uh, I see this as just the start. So while uh, you know the RTO and the Ministry of Road Transport are the first set of organizations to pick this up, uh, I am sure there are other other uh, entities. More so, uh, you know, it will probably start with the central government organizations and then move on to the state and maybe even down to the municipal level where uh, physical presence is actually not needed. And in all of these cases, if you just want to, you know, validate or authenticate that, you know, this is the same person or you want to check, uh, you know, with a, with a photograph or something or phys- uh, visually that, you know, it's essentially the same person. A lot of these things can easily be done uh, using technology. So that's uh, one of the that's been one of the hallmarks of this government, right? As there's more and more digital transformation, more and more use of technology to provide services. Uh, it's been an attempt that's been going on since 2014. Uh, so hopefully, it it will you know move ahead. I. The only thing I have is I do hope that at some point, uh, you know, some important private players uh, are also looped in. Again, the governance and framework for that needs to be decided, uh, especially in terms of, you know, consolidating health records and so on. When people move across cities, it, it, it's a genuine problem in India, right? So uh, some of those things, if they can be thought about, you know, how some of those things can be made easier uh, using, you know, digital authentication and so on. Uh, I, I think that that's the, that's the way to go forward. So, so great news, but, you know, just the first step of what, what will be a fairly long journey. Yeah, no, this is a fantastic use case. And I hope, you know, more use cases take shape. All right. So the ISRO launched its first dedicated commercial mission this week. Wow, we have a lot of uh, positive news uh, coming in this week, right? Uh, it launched Brazil's Amazonia 1 satellite from the Sri Harikota launch pad. The satellite was the first dedicated commercial mission of New Space India Limited, a commercial arm of the Department of Space. 
India and Italy have also decided to explore opportunities in the field of space science. ISRO and the Italian Space Agency held a bilateral meeting on Wednesday. Brazil has also requested India's support in procurement of material and systems for its launch vehicle program. What's that? It's amazing on how many different fronts we are collaborating, right, with these countries. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, with the vaccine maitri, where we have sent vaccines to so many countries across the world, and now uh, we are in a position where you know we are probably one of less than ten countries that can uh, launch satellites. uh in a predictable and consistent fashion at possibly the lowest cost in the world and uh, you know that will actually help more countries have you know launch satellites and it helps india commercially as well uh so in this case this particular satellite uh is going to monitor the deforestation of the uh, amazon forest and it has uh, both infrared and and regular sort of cameras and can actually and uh, has a very good resolution of about uh, 200 feet uh so the the thing with uh, space is that it's it's an area that has so much potential in india and almost all of this potential is largely untapped so if you look at uh, you know the global space market it's about 360 billion dollars i i had covered this briefly in another weekly of which india currently holds roughly 2% so about 7 billion dollars and in this launching satellites which is what uh, you know isro's forte is uh, and what they've been doing for years uh, you know now consistently with very very few failures and at the lowest possible cost that market itself is 108 billion dollars uh, of which uh, you know currently uh, india has about 2 billion right and with less than 10 countries i think the number is probably close to 5 or 6 the countries who can launch satellites uh it's it's not really unrealistic to look at a 10 15% market share in this region right so we are you know and which means that we are we are looking at 15 20 billion dollars in just launching satellites and isro itself uh involves uh, smes and smaller private companies for about 80% of the production so just think of you know the downstream impact in terms of uh, you know smes coming in improving the manufacturing capabilities of india uh, bringing in foreign exchange adding to the gdp creating employment and so on so uh, i think it's it's just the start and i am very excited we also saw uh, you know isro kind of deregulate map data and map my india has come up with like a bunch of new services like you can locate a covid vaccine center nearby so this this entire space that you know isro operates and there's a lot of room for private players to also come in and collaborate and it uh, i think it can bring in a lot of foreign uh, you know foreign currency into india and also uh, you know build india's technology prowess in this space yeah absolutely i mean i think there's plenty happening in that space and probably we should explore this on a uh, another episode with one of the startups or one of the companies that are sort of working in this right i think i remember the pm interacting with the with the the space startups and the isro sometime back and announcing this space entrepreneurship and enterprise development program 
I think uh, a lot of good things and innovation will come out of it. All right, uh, moving on. Meanwhile, in Haryana, Governor Shri Satyadev Narayan Arya approved a bill providing 75% reservation in private sector for citizens holding state domicile certificate. The quota for local people will apply for 10 years and for private sector jobs that offer a salary of less than 50,000 a month. The demand for the above law was uh, championed by Deputy Chief Minister Dushan Chautala's Jannayak Janta Party, JIP, uh, JJP, sorry, a partner in the ruling alliance. The Union Labor and Employment Ministry, which examined the ordinance, has uh, advised the state government against enacting such a law. Ashish, uh, we've heard this sort of a demand from plenty of states earlier, right? But have you seen anything like this uh, getting approved as such? Ashish, you're doing a WhatsApp, you're on mute. Yes, uh, Zoom did prompt me, but uh, yeah, I, I still miss your uh, miss your prompt. So, uh, several states have in the past spoken about these rules. Uh, states like Karnataka, Odisha, MP, they've all talked about these rules, Maharashtra, but either they have not enacted them or they have enacted them and they have not really been, uh, I mean, they've been watered down basically in, in, in several cases. What happens is that uh, this is done usually for political uh, uh, purposes to say that we have a son of the soil policy. We will give jobs to people who are residents or who are domiciled in the state on priority. But uh, states then also mandate that the threshold becomes so relevant. Like typically they'll make it like 20,000 rupees a month as a salary. So that would essentially exclude all the, uh, let's say the higher end services or manufacturing type jobs. And the jobs that they keep it in reserve category, they, they would anyway not be taken up by outsiders, quote unquote, in, in most cases. So uh, as such, this is the first time where and the, the thing with Haryana is that unlike, let's say, MP or Odisha, uh, I mean, Haryana is actually, a, I mean, especially Gurgaon is home to several headquarters of the large Indian companies and even multinationals. It's also home to large manufacturing facilities and Manesar and, and essentially in the uh, in, in the outer outskirts of Gurugram, right? So now now the problem is that if uh, this law and I mean the law is now valid, it has come into force in Haryana. Uh, they, they need to figure out whether they are doing it on a stock basis or a flow basis. So basically, are they saying that every company who's already operating in Haryana should comply with this, or for jobs which are given starting in 2021, you need to apply the quota, right? Some something like that has to be well defined first of all. That is one problem. Secondly, if they are saying that this is on a stock basis that you need to completely rebalance your workforce, that may uh, not be tenable because the kind of skill sets which are needed to run any company, uh, you cannot replace that skill set in a short period of time with a certain type of a demographic. And this is not to say that Haryana may not have people who will fit in, just that they may not have people today who may fit in, right? So they, it may take say, 10 years for Haryana to build up the relevant workforce. But the, the transition uh, is will, will be quite painful. So that is another problem. The third issue is that this also then starts, if other states also start doing this, uh, that becomes another challenge because uh, that then, you know, uh, it kind of leads to chaos. The thing is that urbanization is a given. I mean, if you look at world history, economic history, the development always happens around urban clusters in, in large cities. And not every state can have multiple large cities, right? So inevitably, there'll be cities which will be more national in character than uh, others, right? So let's say a uh, Mumbai or Bangalore or Gurgaon or Delhi or Chennai to some extent, Hyderabad, 
Pune. These cities cannot claim to just say that we are cities in in a state. I mean, they are essentially national cities to to that effect. So, uh, if other states also start doing this, it will cause a lot of issues um, internally uh, in terms of the uh, labor migration, and of course, it becomes a political hot potato also. Uh, so, uh, in in that sense, it's probably a retrograde step now. This this still needs presidential approval. Uh, it can still get rejected at that level. The the challenge here is that this was a completely a political decision, Carrie. I mean, this happened because of the um, uh, ongoing farm protests where the JJP stuck with the government despite being under pressure to pull uh, the rug under the Khattar uh, government's feet, uh, given the 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 Jat antecedents of that party, and the Jats were supporting the farmer agitation. Mm-hmm. So since they did not do it, uh, since they continued to be in the government, they wanted their pound of flesh somewhere else, and then this became like the the counterbalance to save the BJP government in Haryana. So as such, it is a completely a political decision. Um, maybe it will get challenged in Supreme Court. It, it should get challenged in Supreme Court definitely uh, because it's a poor decision. Uh, I think there are some points at which, uh, again, you know, it's like a more an intellectual debate. But like, should the government have been given up rather than agreeing to this decision, right? So I think that was the question. And I, I, as of now, BJP has decided to acquiesce to 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 JJP, perhaps with the view that this can get resigned elsewhere, either with the president or at, in, in the Supreme Court. So I think once that um, comes into play, um, maybe the law will get delayed, etc. But I think overall not a good thing. And uh, worst case, if it gets implemented, I think that's a great thing for Noida because a lot of companies will eventually move from Gurgaon to Noida uh, because yeah. that might be an easier move. Even the same workforce can. I mean, anyway, a lot of people are come come to work from to Gurgaon from UP uh, from Delhi, perhaps from UP already. So they can anyway, uh, you know, start working in uh, in in Noida. So I think that that could be the Ultimate outcome of this uh, plan, if it goes through. Yeah, some pretty strong uh, comments uh, on YouTube as well. So we have Mandar Karnik who says uh, Haryana has found a way to suicide the Gurgaon economy, right? right and I um, mean, uh, who actually has a you know domicile certificate? I mean, that yeah. in itself, it it's I have taken one, and it's it's a it's a pretty painful process. There's no Aadhaar authentication there yet. Hmm. Fair point. Yeah. So, yesterday marked the 50th year of the legend Sunil Gavaskar's Test debut. Uh, the legendary cricketer played his first game for India against the West Indies on March 6th, 1971. He scored a record 774 runs with three centuries and one double century, leading to India's first ever win over West Indies at their home pitch. He has continued to stay active, of course, in the international cricket scene after retiring. Briefly serving as the chairman of the BCCI before turning to full-time commenting, uh, the cricketing fraternity took to Twitter to wish the cricketer on this day. Stars like Saurav Ganguly, Sachin Tendulkar, Jay Shah, and more uh, uh, wished him on uh, Twitter and elsewhere. What's up? We've uh, covered uh, Gavaskar's legacy in a previous episode of uh, Bharat Varta, right? Uh, this is a phenomenal thing, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think. People forget that before Tendulkar came in, Gavaskar was the first uh, superstar of Indian cricket, and uh, even the 774 runs you mentioned in that debut series, uh, he did it after he missed the first test. So he had to have a small surgery and uh, you know get get rid of an infection. Uh, he was unable to hold the bat in the first uh, before the first test. uh and uh, you know gavaskar's career didn't start off really well in the sense that 
yes he was known as you know someone who didn't get a game and you know when he made his finally made his test debut uh he ended up missing the first test uh after that he had that amazing series at the end of it uh, uh lord relator uh, a caribbean singer actually wrote a song for him uh if you find it on youtube it, you should listen to it it's a fantastic song uh it it goes something like this that you couldn't out gavaskar at all so uh and uh, it it has names of you know all all the famous uh, west indian cricketers uh gavaskar has been made infamous you know for a couple of things one of which was the 36 not out in his uh, in the first odi that india played against england uh but people eventually forget that by the time he retired in his last but one odi he scored what was then the second fastest uh, odi 100 by an indian cricketer uh then there were and he was always outspoken right so there was there was a controversy in 81 when he walked out after you know being given out uh by the empire uh even though there was an inside edge uh and he always stood for the players he stood for the rights of players to make a good living out of cricket and he continued doing that even after after he retired uh he's also been a pretty good author he's written some fantastic books uh you know sunny days uh, where he talks about you know the first test 100 how he did it uh, when when he had like a bad tooth he had a cavity in his tooth and he played with you know a bad toothache for that entire test and ended up getting the, his 100 and there's another book called uh, heroes where he talks about you know all the different cricketers Huh? Idol, sorry, yeah, there's one day heroes. The two different books, uh, yeah, and he uh, he even named his son, uh, you know, after three of his uh, favorite cricketers. His son's full name is Rohan Jayeshwar Gavaskar, so he named him after uh, Rohan Kanai, M L Jaisimha, and Gundapa Vishwanath. Uh, incidentally, uh, you know, he always considered Gundapa Vishwanath to be a better batsman than him, and has always consistently said that. Uh, you know i would rather watch him bat he is the best square cut ever in fact yesterday uh, when he was felicitated uh, he actually remembered gundapa vishwanath square cut so he was pretty magnanimous um, you know towards the people he's played with and a strong supporter of cricketers i think uh, he's one of the first cricketers in india who stood up for players rights uh, we know of cricket now with all this money coming in you know post 83 and then the ipl but there was a time when cricketers were you know literally paid a pittance uh, and you know being a first class cricketer was not not really a career option uh, at that point uh, so for someone to come through that and then stay on and you know fight for cricketers rights uh, and you know thankfully even the board has done a lot in this regard you know the board has given sort of pensions and payments to uh, ex first class cricketers but uh, so gavaskar is a phenomenal phenomenal icon of indian cricket and uh, you know may he uh, sort of i i do hope to see him right again uh, and and you know see, continue to see him analyze cricket maybe not comment so much <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, thank you again for all the love and support i mean we had uh, some great uh, comments coming in you know uh, Santosh says thanks for all the good debates all these discussions were super knowledgeable uh 
you know, uh, Neelima says, don't stop making these videos. I watch almost all BVA, BV podcasts. Uh, continue to share our content with friends and family. Uh, really, really appreciate your love and support. Uh, we have a couple of very interesting episodes uh, coming up. Uh, so Ashish actually interviewed uh, Anand Ranganathan on the Indian farm reforms. And this was in collaboration with the, the CFOC. Uh, Ashish, highlights from this episode? Or perhaps, I mean, the whole episode was a highlight in itself. <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic discussion, actually. Uh, Conservative Friends of Commonwealth is a UK-based organization which helps to create Friends of the Conservative Party uh, uh, around the world. I mean, in, in the Commonwealth countries. Uh, interesting work uh, which they are doing and they want to understand from a global audience standpoint what is all what are farm reforms all about and why are protests happening and then who better than Anand to really shoot off statistics after statistics and I think that completely uh, floored the uh, floored the CFOC team yeah. which were on the call uh, yesterday uh, and the highlight was that Anand did interrupt me to ask for 30 seconds so I think we should uh, so that we can actually continue to Bharatwarta. Uh, uh, I think this should release soon on Tuesday, but uh, I look forward to it. Uh, despite having recorded it, I look forward to watching it again uh, on you know when it goes live. All right, and uh, we also have an interesting live stream today with Monica Verma and Pratyasha Rath. Both of them are you know outspoken, outspoken social uh, media commentators and pretty popular at that. Uh, so. To all the women who are listening, happy International Women's Day. Uh, so we're going to be talking about all of the policies of the government, uh, uh, especially geared towards uh, you know women and child development as such, right? So this uh, could be this could be really interesting. So do catch us uh, live at uh, seven thirty today. Sorry, at seven p.m. As Ashish said. So all right, thank you so much, folks. I mean, this was uh, this was fun again. Another edition of the Bharatvartha Weekly. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, stay safe, take care, and Jai Hind.